Hello, my name is Dan Brown, and I'm here today again with another Lenses on Information Architecture conversations about IA. And today I get to talk to Ashley Axios. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I uh, have followed your career uh, for uh, a while, and um, obviously we've being both in the DC area, we've kind of bumped into each other uh, on on occasion, but I'm really excited to talk to you sort of digging into the creative process. And I wonder if given sort of the range of experiences you've had, especially kind of around the federal government uh, and maybe people who are not so versed in design, how do you draw folks into the design process? What are some of your favorite tools and techniques for drawing people in to talk about some of these challenging problems that we're facing? Yeah. So for me now where I am in my career, I think of that as like, it's like the new part of the design challenge for me. I really like taking time to understand not just where the end user is coming from, um, but also where the stakeholders and broader team is coming from, understanding their backgrounds and concerns and pressures that may be on them, their needs and their various definitions of success and failure. And then composing teams, which I get to do in my, my current role, who will balance each other out, bring in different perspectives, challenge those like default notions of what it is to collaborate and to solve problems. And honestly, who can also speak effectively to those stakeholders. It's a bit of like a matchmaking exercise. So like, do you understand some of the language of this community <laughs> um, and to match and begin to um, take to them the notions of design. And that all makes it easier, in my experience, for the teams and stakeholders, clients to collaborate together in the process, whether they're calling it a design process or just the work, you know, whatever it is, the, the project with the, like, you know, capital T sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's really okay. interesting. We, I mean, we feel like we've talked a lot about, um, like, in sort of creating balanced teams. We talk... Uh, initially, in the early days, we talked about skill sets, right, and our ability, like the technical skill sets of this person is a visual designer versus an information architect versus a researcher. Yeah. Uh, and now um, you're, it sounds like you're sort of bringing in this idea. And I mean, we can also talk about domain knowledge, like how familiar you are with, you know, a particular industry or domain. Yeah. But it sounds like you're bringing in sort of almost different uh, personality types and perspectives. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of what you're looking for in team members? Yeah, I mean, like, I think we've all learned to a deeper degree in recent years, or I hope so, like just how much value diversity brings. And so now I'm thinking about it in like pretty much from every lens and angle that I can, you know, I love how strong my team is that we have people who have psychology, social science, political science, different types of humanities backgrounds that doesn't, it's not what they're doing, but they have that, you know, experience who are embedded in different communities. Um, Coforma is completely distributed. So not just kind of all being from the same region and providing support, but being able to say, hey, if we're, we're creating a uh, application or a system that's gonna effectively be used across, in this case, maybe continental US, then how are we involving people even in the creation of it that are representative of that um, group? But certainly like personalities and balance and um, kind of folks that understand when we're working with the federal government, how hard it can be to get things done and highly bureaucratic, um, 
you know, tense environments, sometimes where there's a lot of pressure, all of those kind of soft skills, hard skills, background, um, individual parts of uh, identity can shape and make a team much more adept at being able to navigate some of the challenges and being able to challenge notions with one another and speak to one another fruitfully with a healthy amount of tension, right? You're not, I'm not trying to like make everybody match and be the same type. It's like kind of the opposite. You want like the enough, um, you know, tension and conversation where real solutions can come out of it through the work, but there can, there's still a way to get to some like shared definitions <laughs> um, and find ways to collaborate uh, throughout. So it's fun. It's a whole different type of like match made, making and, um, and planning. And it's still like people oriented. So for me, it feels so natural as an right. extension of design. Yeah. Would you say that uh, stakeholders in the government have changed much in your, in, over the course of your career? Like, um, I mean, I, I, I feel like uh, having been involved with the federal government here and there um, over, over the course of my career, we've seen, uh, we've gone from sort of a, a reluctance to embrace design to maybe not a reluctance, maybe not fully embracing it, but sort of just a understanding of the role of design. Have you seen similar kinds of changes uh, in how stakeholders engage with the creative process? Yeah, I think there is in pockets and it's growing, but like an excitement for some of it, like, you know, sometimes it goes down to the silly things, but we'll take it, you know, if it gets us through the door, like, oh, we're going to do one of those, like, post-its out like uh creative fun things together now huh like i you know <laughs> i heard that this is like great and cool things can come out of it it's like okay i'll take it we're the post-it people and we'll <laughs> you know here to help move you forward but um yeah but we i think i've noticed like some who like really get it and are using the terminology and becoming advocates within government still fewer <laughs> that I'd like to see like many people who are just excited about it and um, who've participated to some degree and are like hungry for more. Um, and there are still some pockets of course, where folks are kind of set in their ways and, um, and things need to be kind of shook up or changed. But I think even when we get an opportunity to collaborate with folks in those spaces where they're like, uh, like leave us, leave us alone, you know, almost want to, sometimes it can feel like it's generational or something like that. Things <laughs> come up there. Um, we just kind of go out of our way to try to meet them where they are and to use their terms and to almost, you know, disguise ourselves for the process of being able to truly collaborate, even if it doesn't feel like it's the highbrow design thing to do. Like, Okay, what we're really working on is a service blueprint here, but you keep calling it like visual map and think that I'm, you know, right. great. It's a visual map. That's perfect. Right. We'll yeah. use that term and that is now the term for it. <laughs> or who's a what's it? It doesn't even doesn't even matter, right? It's the like process of creating together. So I found that like following their lead in those circumstances can make a really like really big difference um, right. when the, the folks are just not on board with design, but they they want to see change happen. There's usually a lot of common ground hidden underneath right. um, that resistance still. Yeah. If uh, the moment um, 
post-it fatigue sets in though i think we're we're in trouble <laughs> um so let's speak post-its uh let's talk about information architecture for a sec um uh, i know you're coming more from the kind of creative direction background but all of us kind of have to dabble or deal with uh complex structures especially yeah. the kinds of work that you all are doing uh, just dealing with just some enormous um uh, civic tech problems, all right, and kind of the underlying structure, uh, the navigation, uh, how content is handled, all that stuff is really, really important. Um, are there things that you like to do uh, at the beginning of a project to clarify uh, a product uh, or websites or services underlying structure? What are some of your favorite or go-to IA-related activities? So it's been... I find it easier personally to figure out the structure of an existing product, like what's dictated or informed it, how well it's serving its audience. And it's fairly like basic things there, like stakeholder interviews and admin interviews and user interviews, audits of the site map against an org chart, you know, um, things can kind of reveal themselves um, pretty quickly um, and a lot can be observed or absorbed through those conversations and done to get clarity. I find that the areas where it's a little bit more of a fun puzzle for me are those mapping brand new systems um, or re completely kind of reworking the existing systems, um, figuring out some of the decisions on how and when to sort information and surface it and understanding not just how somebody can get the information that they need um, or to you know, complete a task most cleanly um, and painlessly, but also mapping out those like alternative modes. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, I guess kind of taking it high level a little bit, like one of the bigger principles that comes to mind for me is like just not dictating experience, which I think can be a temptation and thinking of ourselves as, uh, being in place to help enable experiences and intentionally in plural experiences um, that can be really different from one another. Um, I, I think sometimes we consider, I don't even know if this metaphor will hold for you, you're much deeper in the space, right? But I, I think of architecture at large and I think sometimes we consider information architecture, somebody maybe who's new to it or looking from the outside as like the most basic buildings that you're trying to figure out how to get somebody from the lobby to their hotel room with the greatest ease or how to like make sure that they know that there's a pool and a bar and a business center in this space <laughs> and then how to get to those things really easily. Um, but sometimes if we're too like didactic about it, we can accidentally make people into kind of objects on this conveyor belt, right, where it's really hard to get out of a hard fixed flow that we've created. And we can create cues by accident or make things a little bit more one directional um, than maybe we intend from the start. Um, and there's like an ease, I don't know, in design, I think we lose a lot of the terms of like, clarity, ease, simplicity as all these like really big values, but like, being in a, maybe I'm taking this too far. But like being in a dictatorship or something, right? Like there's a lot of like clarity and ease. <laughs> like, it's real clear where you're supposed to go and like 
what somebody wants you to do, but could be so strict and like suffocating sometimes. I think one of the really fun things for me is thinking about like, I'm just maybe rely too heavily on this metaphor, but like that, I think a good architect is also looking for, and it crosses over into information architecture is also looking for, you know, different types of intent, hidden intents, um, and enables a user not just to get from point A to point B because it's necessary for a task, but create space for rest and multiple points of entry and interest and enable flows that can start from different places that, you know, could start from the bar or start from the pool <laughs> because humans are weird <laughs> and we, you know, are going to go where we want to go and like, we can so easily break things down and um, um, yeah, like it, we just need those moments of like pause and rest and exploration and tangents and we just kind of building with the understanding or shaping things with the understanding um, that however something can be broken, it probably will when you're dealing with uh, humans and making that part of the challenge and crafting and figuring out something that's going to organically move people, but also flex over time as right. well. So I just put a lot in there. That was because that was so good. Oh my God. Okay. So good. <laughs> I'm like, does any of that make sense? I'm talking about conveyor belts and dictatorships, man. Yeah, <clears throat> actually, that was actually among the more concise explanations that I've heard of what we do. So I thought that was great. Um, uh, as I'm, as I'm listening to what you're saying, <clears throat> I, you know, like you, I'm sort of, uh, I sort of tentatively embrace physical metaphors for the kind of work that we do, but for better or for worse, we live in our bodies and we live in a physical world. And sometimes it's easier to relate to that. And I really like where you're going of, you know, we talk about building very functional buildings like airports or hotels where wayfinding is crucial, but we never talk about like, uh, a zoo or just a park or like something where yes. the experience is far is is geared more towards exploratory and holistic uh and not not so i mean use the word dictatorship but uh, maybe uh, another way of framing that is you know not not entirely so task oriented or goal oriented yeah. or maybe the goals are a little bit more lofty or or not so sort of transactional uh, in in a sense and i really like that idea like okay well uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna use a physical metaphor but maybe i'll start with a, a playground right and not a office building or whatever yeah it is. yeah yeah i love that and that's a great way to it's a better better term perhaps <laughs> good selection but yeah it's a, I, I mean i feel like that is I, back to part of your question on the process there, like for me, how you get to that and challenge it that you're also alluding to there. It's, it's like a shift of intention, but it's also letting in some room for intuition and play and testing and trying right. and like knocking things around. Right. Like if we, I think sometimes it's as designers because there's been so much published and there's so many systems and structures, we can be like, ah, I gotta go through. Right. <laughs> these steps in this order to even get to the solution and we can lose um we can lose some of the right. um, softer explorations and um more creative structures that can come and i i have the most fun in those spaces um right 
And I think there's something to be, I mean, it, the criticism, of course, is, well, we want them to get in and get out, or right? them to do what they need to do, file their claim or whatever it is that they need to do and get out. Like, where's that playful? But I also feel like um, we, the using the, the metaphor of a playground, right? Everything I want to be able to do in this playground, I can see. Like, I show up at the playground, I can see everything. Whereas at an airport, I need a million signs to get me to the right place. I can't see where I want to be. And I just think even that sense of introducing this new way of thinking about wayfinding um, uh, in a more playful way doesn't have to undermine the fact that we know folks are coming in to accomplish specific tasks. So uh, you've, you've opened my eyes here on a Friday afternoon. I could not be happier. Um, but speaking of like looking at things in a new way, that's sort of the, the, the thrust of this whole conversation is like, what should we be looking at in a new way? What, what do you think, even zooming out a bit, just the overall practice of user experience design, the overall practice of product design, do you feel like there's something that may be an assumption that we've held for a long time, or there is uh, a practice that's been in place for a long time, there's an attitude that's been in place for a long time that we really need to kind of rip out look at carefully and think about differently. What do you think we could be looking at differently in our field? I mean, most things, but I'll try to focus it. <laughs> um, I think at Coformer, we've been putting a lot of thought into um, how to equitably and thoughtfully recruit and engage with research participants. Like, uh, you know, and of course this is gonna make a difference in how we collect insights, who, who we're getting them from, like, but managing the dynamics of an interview or exercise, thinking about things like who has the, who has the power, how is it being wielded, is the approach that we're taking equitable, um, and that cascades through to the quality solutions that we're generating, but I feel like we haven't necessarily, as a group, spend enough time, and I think it's starting to happen more now, but looking at the impact of ourselves in these situations. <laughs> you know, it's like a awareness of everybody else and what they're bringing to the table, but not necessarily our own trauma and experiences and, you know, privileges and how that may be affecting the work that we're doing. Um, and it comes up, I think, a little bit more prominently for us because we're working on some topics that affect individuals and families and communities like sickle cell disease and uh, lung cancer, COVID-19, PTSD, especially our, our ones in the healthcare space and the products and services on those topics. Um, it's just more present for us uh, that it's not just about technology, but it's about the people. And if we're putting so much time and attention to people, we have to understand how we're engaging and how our backgrounds and our just ourselves all of our like hyphenations our accolades and self-descriptors and social standings can be relevant to what we're doing with with people um you know sometimes we step in um you know i will step in with my team and our role and we're kind of in between the government and people right like that is a loaded place to be. You can't just ignore that. I mean, you can, it's not smart. <laughs> I think we're, you know, it's not smart to ignore the dynamic that can come from that, that there may be history and baggage between a group of people and the government, and you're trying to kind of get information to 
be able to improve their experience, but you're also, who are you in this? You know, what's your aim? Why are you in it? How long will you be doing this? All of that becomes hyper relevant and there's a need for disclosing it, addressing it. And I think even in some cases, like skirting it, like how can we remove ourselves? Can we put together research plans, train, facilitate to have communities interview themselves on some of this, conduct some of these workshops amongst themselves and give us some of the insights from it so that our presence doesn't become a, you know, disrupting factor um, so that we're aware of and not contributing to, you know, traumas and we want to be creating welcoming spaces and situations in which people can heal, but certainly not like hostile situations and interactions that can open up harm or cause direct or indirect harm. And so that's an area we're spending a lot of time. And I feel like as a, you know, as a collective, we probably need to be having many more discussions on, you know, what this looks like in the various ways that we engage with people and how it shows up in the solutions that we generate. Was there, have you had an experience where you sort of are maybe in the midst of doing some user research or observing some user research and going, oh, we, we there was an opportunity for us to do this differently and we didn't uh, take advantage of it or where you sort of very acutely felt um, uh, a need to kind of make a change in the practice. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, um, one workshop comes to mind um, on kind of sickle cell disease and we had clinicians, it was with sickle cell disease, we had a really diverse group of folks together talking about their experiences. And there was, I feel like palpable tension <laughs> between some of the folks who, you know, had sickle cell disease and had really experienced trauma in the hands of medical providers with medical providers in the room who are like, you know, thinking about their processes and talking from that vantage point versus a human vantage point in some instances and just going, wow, this is, could be, you know, create so much baggage, open up so many past hurts and harms and having the conversation this way. And I hope we could navigate it and move it through, but we didn't go into that conscious that it would be doing that, which is problematic. Um, And, you know, they're just much more graceful ways of handling um, some of those topics. And we need to, I think, be thoughtful to lean on social sciences and humanities and like other (laughs) um, professions in these instances too, and check ourselves. Um, uh, So we have done a lot since that one. And luckily nothing big or terrible came out of it, but it was pretty eye-opening, you know, being in the room and experiencing some of that. Uh, Yeah, that sounds really, really hard. I mean, zooming out now, would you say that there was kind of a moment in your career where you were sort of realized there's a need to sort of look at how we're doing things differently? Uh, Was that was that the precipitating event or was there something else where you're sort of chugging along as a UX generalist, a creative director and thinking, wait a minute, there's something we need to be doing differently here? No, it was much earlier for me, which I think is a you know, privilege in some ways, but for me, I think I've always seen design as a gateway or means to an end, which I don't know is everybody's experience, but it's an action to make things better by subjective means it does. And 
should change over time, in my opinion, as our understanding as societies continues to evolve and cultures continue to shift. I feel like it'll never be enough. Um, it, like we'll never completely catch up because hopefully we should be continually learning, growing and pushing forward as a society. Um, so inherent, that is like part of um, a feeling that our practice does need to continually evolve and early experiences that I had were, you know, I had a teacher um, in high school, Mrs. Sopko, who worked in Atlantic City for Trump and got tired of the BS and putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak, and pulling people into casino and working it um, to kind of attract folks to what she thought was an abusive institution. And so she left that and came to teach. And she spoke really openly with us as this high school class, we weren't really designers yet. Um, so I, like that was one of my earlier experiences being like, yeah, these, <laughs> this is not like the aspirational perfect field, right? Um, yeah. There are areas of growth that are needed. That was an example of kind of marketing and design and tactics being used for, for ill, but she also opened us up to some of the possibilities and the hope. Um, I also got exposed in middle school to my, um, a family member, talented black man, worked in advertising, but was kind of limited in his work to um, uh, kind of working on stuff for communities of color. And there was kind of a ceiling cliff. He was like surrounded all sides. It's such a chasm to jump over in order to do any of the same type of work for a broader set of audiences. And so that was another one, like really early on to give me some insight into some of the ways the profession at large was imperfect and, and had its own biases and issues. So that's stuff about society and about people, but obviously it just it has an effect on the nature and scope of the work that we're able to do and you know gave me hints at like the restrictions of client interactions and like how ethics and values come into all of that like super early on so I think it was um something that I've been aware of from from the jump but I still joined so apparently I think we can change it <laughs> yeah I mean if I if I could get personal for a sec I'm genuinely curious like you experience those things in your youth and maybe sort of by comparison, you know, I, I didn't take any design classes. I didn't sort of experience that, but uh, I enjoyed the process of design. And I think that's sort of what attracted me uh, to it in my career, but I didn't, didn't get to experience any of that stuff where design was kind of painted in this way that, or, or sort of exposed I should, is probably yeah. a better way of saying it as um, an industry like any other with, with its uh, incredible opportunities for uh, moral shortcomings, incredible opportunities for uh, um, prejudice. So mm -hmm. I'm sort of curious. And yet you got to experience those things at a very young age and you still jumped in. And I'm, I'm wondering if you don't mind sharing sort of what, what, uh, was the what for you was the promise of design? What sort of allowed you to kind of feel confident about walking in, knowing what you knew in that way? Yeah, I mean, it, it, like maybe it's like some hubris or something. <laughs> like, 
I mean, you you were in high school, so you didn't know everything there is to know. So yeah, I mean, I've learned I've I've learned a lot more. Right, there are different levels and depths to it, but I, yeah, I I think part of it is like that we can change these things. I mean, like all of society is is so messed up, has so many deep issues too. I think the design field compared to so many is, is, is one where you can take the problem as you've identified it and work like through process to get to some tangible solutions that are progressive, that you can see some clear outcomes from. You might not see the long-term impacts from right away, but you can you get to those outcomes in a fairly quick way. Like, <laughs> um, so there's also, you know, the feeling of reversing a lot of the types of harms and being able to um, to counteract some of the same negative culture, cultural and social forces by design that I think was a driver. So it's like the forces coming in, but the, the power of using creativity to um, rework the systems at play itself was, I think, just too compelling. And I didn't even have like I still don't have perfect language for it, but I certainly didn't have language for it at the time. It was like, I want to do, I want to create and use it for good. And this stuff is all messed up and I can't stop focusing on the problems. And it just draws me in closer, right? right? Instead of being pushed away from that. And I think most really good designers do get really passionate about the problems. <laughs> right, right. And we see all of them and we, you know, like, oh, that could be organized better. We have that kind of tendency. So, I think a lot of it just kind of clicked. Um, it's it would it's interesting also that you sort of went in maybe with some and I stop me if I'm projecting here, but maybe with some sense that design is as a practice as a field is imperfect as well as part of a, a system uh, that um, contains uh, prejudice that contains bias that yeah. contains all of these problems and that um, uh, it was still there's still an opportunity to. Uh, work from within um, to, to make good. Does, did I get that right at all? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, some days I'm just like, how much good can I do? Is it worth it? And I'm like, right. okay, yeah, it's worth it. I, I still have to have the kind of internal dialogue with myself, but I feel like that's just, it's just part of the work. Um, I like it though. I like being able to make something imperfect better and our field is no different. Speaking of which, uh, I, so I'm trying to look at information architecture differently. I'm, I do a lot of IA work. I love it. Uh, but I also understand that it comes with a fair number of assumptions. Uh, and so what I've been asking guests to do um, is maybe I'm realizing now the labor uh, that I should be doing myself, but it's helpful to have a sounding board. Um, and I wonder if you might help me deconstruct some preconceptions that I have about IA. And one of those, I'm just going to go right into it, assuming you're into it. Um, uh, one of those is this idea of a happy path, right? We sort of, and we were talking about this earlier, but this idea that in order to kind of get from point A to point B, we we acknowledge that there's like the, the everyone does everything that, that they exactly need to do. And that edge cases are maybe more rare and they're not as um, uh, crucial uh, to uh, completing the task. And really what we want to focus on is that happy path, right? And as an information architect, I think a lot about 
How am I going to sequence these steps? What are the important things I need to ask? How do I structure the requests? Like all of that is kind of underlying structure uh, in terms of building out a process. But now I wonder, uh, is this notion of happy path, is this one of the things that's holding the practice back? What do you think? I think it is. I don't know that would be a surprise to you based on what we were chatting about <laughs> earlier. Um, but yeah, I like, I, I mean, this one also feels like kind of personal to me too, because I am one of those folks that like often is left out of the happy path because they're like, just choose your race, you know, on the form. And you're like, oh, I'm like, I'm mixed race and multi-race. And it's like, like, come on, you can choose one. Like there, it's that type of thing that gets left out so often. Yeah, you get one, you get one dominant one, please just like choose it and move on. Um, but it's often that like type of thing when we're talking about edge cases that that ends up, um, you know, ostracizing or excluding people. So I see this one, um, and maybe again, this will sound a little bit of ex extreme, but for me, it's like, it kind of makes sense as logic that we would start from here, given the societies that we're operating in, right? We still, you know, society still ignores those without shelter, dismisses people who um, have serious ailments, society praises this kind of false ideal of individual achievement when it's much, we're actually doing many more things collectively than we are, you know, individually, um, kind of praises this idea of folks pulling themselves up by bootstraps and just kind of like get it done. Like is the kind of notion that permeates, especially here in the United States. Um, so for me, that like ties into this idea of ideal user and ideal path. That's like a, the concept in happy path. Um, it also fits with that whole um, notion of average person, right? That doesn't actually exist, but has become a, an idea. Um, and so like breaking all of that stuff down, I feel like it's just kind of a semi-natural extension still lingering in our society of like ableism and eugenics, like that we, you know, are, are still looking for an ideal person, an ideal scenario and trying to fit people into those frameworks and cutouts um, and trying to remove what we consider the messiness of society. That is like some straight eugenics um, talk and kind of thinking. But once you've been in a society that has had that problem for some time, it's gonna take a while to identify it and to, I think, weed it out. So I think that's the, the phase that we're in. And I, um, it makes me think of the phrase, um, intent, uh, intent isn't enough or intent's not enough, um, where it doesn't matter if we intend for people to be able to use the product if they actually need high-speed internet and advanced education, like the perfect environmental, physical, mental, emotional conditions, like in order to actually be able to effectively use the product or service, then we've actually failed, right? It's not, the intent isn't enough in this scenario either. And we've, I think, failed because of like biased exclusionary, that kind of textbook, um, you know, privileged way of, you know, thinking that we could define things um, and kind of lock them into an ideal scenario. Um, 
So yeah, and no, I think that it makes sense to, you know, of course, we're going to have some scenarios that we need to start with. We've like learned through research that here are some tasks, like we were talking about earlier, that somebody needs to complete. doesn't mean that we need to like disregard those like you're talking um, about there. But I think it means just asking a broader set of questions afterwards and not dismissing things that go beyond our initial perceptions of what should be included, thinking about what happens if, even though that wasn't a scenario that was originally defined or wasn't, uh, isn't a core thing you think somebody should be doing with that area of a product or service. Right. Actually, that was so good. And, and um, I mean, just to go back about, uh, I don't know, two minutes, you use the phrase ideal user. And I'm like, that is an extension of this notion of happy path. And I never thought about that before. And it is really gross when you like uh, just this notion like, oh, we have this ideal user, or as you say, average person. Like now that I look looking at it in a new way, I feel like uh, I feel like this gives me a lot to think about in terms of how to reevaluate my practice and where that starting point is. So uh, thank you very much for that. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening and engaging. I feel like <laughs> I'm going on like just deep off my like soapboxes soap here, but it's really fun to talk about this stuff. with. Oh, you. good. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me.